Uh, well, we're just in our, not our backyard, our side yard at the moment. See some cows over here, chewing on some hay, and cattle yards, sheep yards just up, up there, shearing shed sheep yards. Um, they're just a few machinery sheds as well. I think all up, I think it might be 12,000 acres here. We've got standard Gertrudis cows, which you can see a couple just over here. Um, nice big red cows. And Merino ewes with Borderlesser rams. So first cross lambs we breed here, yeah. Yep. So this is kind of, this road here is the main driveway in and out of the property. So really you could say we live on the highway of the property. So any stock trucks, any tractors, any form of machinery, anyone that's coming in and out for anything really uses this road in and out. So um, we've got a couple of cattle dogs as well. Roxy and Buff. is a couple of cattle dogs. The children. Are... Let's go check the... Ten, ten mil this morning. Oh, so overnight and, yeah, up until now, yeah. I don't think we got too much overnight, we... Hi, I'm Sam Loy and welcome to Propagate the show for young farmers and fishers. This season, we're having a look at how young farmers are throwing away that farming blueprint and finding ways to make their business work. From juggling off-farm jobs, trying new ways of selling cattle, to investing in new tech. I'll also take a look at the other side of the business, because no matter how well your livestock or crops are going, if you don't manage the business well, things can go very wrong. The farmers I'll be talking to tell me what resiliency methods they're using to make sure they're prepared for whatever the future brings. Uh, I'm Lewis Goodman, and this very moment we're sitting in the lounge room of our house in Changi, New South Wales. Uh, the weather is a bit cold and wet, a little bit drizzly outside. Probably about 10 degrees. Hi, I'm Pippa Goodman and yes, bit of a dreary, miserable day. Nice day to be sitting inside, sipping cups of tea. I'm sitting with Lewis and Pippa inside their house while it buckets down outside. Lewis has been living and working in Trangy for almost 11 years. And when he first arrived in the town, he had no idea he'd stay on for so long. I started Jack Rewing when I was about 19 years old, sort of western New South Wales. Canamble, Warren sort of area. Then I progressed from there up to North Queensland and worked on some cattle stations for a few years. And then ended up here through a little bit of, like my brother was here cutting firewood and the people I worked for said they were looking for someone and my brother dropped my number and yeah, they rang me and 10 years later I'm still here. So this is my 11th year, I've been here 10 years halfway through my 11th year working for this family now, yep. Since moving to Trangie, Lewis has been living in a house that's on the property of the family he works for. I'm working for a family just south of Trangie now. It's a mixed enterprise farm, a lot of sheep, cattle and a lot of dry land farming as well. So we, we just finished shearing the other day, I think we saw about 3,500 ewes, probably got 200, 250 cows running around and probably farm five or 6,000 acres. Every year, yeah, it's it's a pretty good area to be 
to be honest, it's pretty, it's nice at the moment. It's not too wet. It's not too, a nice bit of rain at the moment, which is keeping it pretty good. Pippa's story is a little bit different. So I'm the third generation of my family to live in Trangy. My grandparents lived in Trangy for about 40 years. My mum grew up here and I spent a lot of time here growing up, learnt to swim all of Christmas holidays, school holidays. It was a big part of growing up, living in Trangy, even though my dad being an agronomist meant that we moved around a lot and moved up to northwest New South Wales and into Queensland. Trangy was always had a sense of returning home. And in my late 20s, after my grandfather became ill and my mum returned to Trangy to nurse him for the last year of his life, after he passed away and we sold the house and did the clearing sale, I just assumed that perhaps Trangy wasn't going to be a place that I would ever come back to, that maybe that chapter of my life had closed. That was until Pippa found herself back in the area, working in Dubbo at a local radio station came out to Trangy to watch a rugby game with some friends and watch the Trangy Tigers play, which was the club that my dad was captain coach for when I was little. And so if you head into the Imperial Hotel in Trangy, there's lots of Trangy Tigers memorabilia on the walls, which include photos of my dad when he was playing. And so came out to watch a rugby game with some friends and afterwards we headed back to the pub and was introduced to this guy at the bar wearing a Trangy Tigers dress shirt and vest and holding a tray of beers and ended up marrying the guy, so. (laughs) Now, Pippa has her own business where she's a celebrant, as well as working as a teacher's assistant in town. And so I do lots of marrying of people. That also encompasses things like funerals as well. So I'm marrying people all over the state and it's really fun because you can travel really as far and as wide as you'd like to and then more locally to supplement that I work at some local schools in the area just really in a support role helping them out and in seasons where weddings might be a bit quiet for instance at the moment we're in the middle of winter in our part of the world not as many weddings are happening and so that's a really nice way for me to have a little bit of supplementary income but also it's a really nice way to just stay connected with our local community as well. So, In the long run, Lewis and Pippa's plan is to try and buy a bit of land themselves. I would love to have some of my own country, but I don't know if I want enough for that to be my full time. I'd like to have something to do my own operation, but also probably still be able to work full time, whether it, yeah, for my current employer or whatever that came down the track, but... I think, especially at the moment, a bit of like a backup income or farm income, whatever, however you'd like to describe it, I think it's very important, especially for us that, yeah, if we did step into it and if it, I think the benefit or the, the off-farm income to to help you out if things do go wrong or gets dry and you don't grow a crop or something, you've got to sell your sheep, like it's, I don't know if I want to be locked into having to rely on a on a farm to to get me through. It's a dream. It is a dream to be able to do our own thing one day, whether it's owning something or whether it's share farming for someone but not off our own back. Still trying to work all that out, I think. Unfortunately, the dream of buying land is a tough one for many young farming families like Lewis and Pippa. It's unreal. Like, you, 
I think at the moment, if you're not a generational farmer, like if you're not inheriting land, it's nearly impossible at the moment to to buy buy country, especially uh, look around here. Even look, this isn't the most expensive country compared to other places, but it's it's nearly impossible if you don't have a good backing. At the moment, I think you're looking you're looking at least between two and three thousand dollars an acre. So if you're trying to buy a thousand acre, look. And to realistically make money, you're probably wanting to be farming a thousand acres. That's three million bucks straight up before you even buy a tractor or the equipment you want to to farm it, and all your fertilizer and chemicals and like it's. We'll have a house on there that you can live on. Yeah, it's nearly it's nearly impossible. I'm sure there's ways, but it's very hard for especially for young farmers like us who. Would like to maybe go down that path one day it's it's very hard to to just walk in and, and start up that's why more and more young farmers are finding alternate ways into working their own land one of these ways is share farming and for the past few years lewis and his boss have been doing just that probably nearly call it directly west of here about if we were to drive there'd be 20ks west probably 30ks west of here um, on our next door neighbour's place, yeah. And that's a thousand acres of share farming. Yeah. That's there. And then what's the split here between oh, cropping and stock? Probably a third of everything. Actually, probably four or five thousand acres of farming here. We yeah. The opportunity came up when their neighbour asked Lewis's boss whether he'd be interested in sharing that thousand acres of his land. My boss jumped at it and he asked me whether I'd be, like, whether I was keen to go in it as well. And obviously, like I said, I would be, but probably didn't have a whole heap of cash in reserve to just jump straight into the farming with them. So they sort of set up a deal with us where the first year, pretty much all my hours and all the work, I don't really get paid for, but then I get a share of the profit back. And the second year, we, we put a little bit in plus all the hours and everything, and then get a little bit more back, and then after a while we 50-50, like, we share the, all the inputs. And so far, things have been going well. We've sown wheat over there. We've wheat the first year, then we had canola last year, then we've gone wheat again this year. First year was really good. We had a pretty good crop, a bit of a wet harvest, but still a pretty good crop. Then last year, just as most of New South Wales farmers probably know, it was really wet, and... The crop looked amazing, but just didn't probably yield as well as we expected. But yeah, so we didn't really make much money over there last year. But anyway, that's the joys of farming. And we'll, we'll go again this year, hopefully. It's been pretty good so far, so hopefully the season keeps going with us. Lewis says the share farming system has worked well for him. And he thinks it's a good idea for other young farmers keen to get a leg up in the industry. It happens quite a lot. I think share farming's quite common. I don't know about the, the model I'm involved in with where I'm involved with, with my employer. I don't know if that happens too much. I can't answer that question too much. But there's a lot of share farming going on. Like my employer does a little bit. Like he's got country a bit further back towards Trangy and we don't have the means to get our equipment up there to farm it. So another bloke share farms that for him. So, yeah, like I, I think you'd find it, it happens quite a lot with people that probably either can't afford to buy the country and are trying to get into it. They might hit a farmer up to farm it for them if the farmer's 
doesn't have the time. It's quite common. Of course, share farming isn't the only available model for farmers trying to find a way into working their own land. Many people choose to lease land off older generational farmers. The basic difference is leasing, you're pretty much renting that land. So it, it's, I pay you a certain amount of, per acre or per hectare to, to pretty much rent that land every year, whether it's dry, whether it's, yes, so we could be in a drought and if I'm leasing it off you, even though I don't put a crop in, I've still got to pay you that. So it's, it, it's good for, for you if you're leasing it to me. That's a very good, good deal. Maybe not so much if we go, we get dry and we can't do anything. Not so good for me. Where I think, my, I personally think the share farming is a better, better solution for each person. So I share farm your your country. I I cover all the costs, everything. You just own the place. You kick back. Don't have to worry about it too much. I farm it. And then at the end, you get a certain percentage of the profits, and I get the rest. But where that works better for me is like if it's dry. I don't have to put a crop in the ground where that's not as beneficial for you because you're not going to get any profit at the end of the year because I didn't sell crop, but I'm not forking out a heap of money for country I'm not using. So but potentially for the landowner, it becomes a really great way to make some passive income. They're going to make a lot more money from the share farming than they will a lease. But I guess the lease is just guaranteed. That's probably why some people go down that path. But I think there is... A lot more potential to like make a lot more money for you to share farm your country instead of lease it. And then for someone that's really wanting to and willing and able to do the legwork, yeah, it it provides a great solution for yeah. income for them as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fairer for it's equitable. More yeah, more equitable for for me as the the farmer. But that's probably why I would go down the share farming if it works for for myself, just because you might make. I don't know, you might make 100, 150 grand one year out of share farming your country or something, like, which I don't think you'll get that leasing it. Another way to have financial security is through income diversification. For Lewis and Pippa, who each have a few streams of income, they see it as an important security blanket. And these days, Lewis says a lot of people working in farming see it as a smart way to protect themselves. I was talking to... A local farmer the other day from around this area was sort of talking about this same thing and he he got into where he owns his own country now he got into it via sort of not so much share farming but bought a little block farmed it sold it for more money than what he bought but anyway the position he's in now he probably doesn't need to have an off-farm income but he still works his job because he likes that security blanket of still having income and being able to live off that and not have to, yeah, fall back on the farm and everything, even though he, he, he probably doesn't need to. I, I don't know. I think you would find a lot of people and us probably do have a lot. There is a lot of off-farm income, even though you still probably could live on your, live and run your farm, whether it's your wife or whatever, probably does go and have an off-farm income just for that security blanket of a little bit extra money every every week and... Pretty for a little while there we like we were living off just my income mm. and you know, I think even at the moment we I don't know how we'd, well we'd be doing it now with just my income so like if people didn't have a job now I think we'd probably still be struggling a little bit to even like we are pretty lucky we've got a house in that here but I think 
even just to buy groceries these days is pretty expensive. So, I so think having that security blanket of another income besides the share, like not trying to rely on share farming or something, like having that off-farm income I think is very important. Definitely. And then even going, okay, well, if my work with weddings, for instance, is more seasonal, how am I going to make sure that I'm supplementing that sort of through the winter months or if I'm not as busy during certain parts of the year? And that's why just getting involved in your local community and supporting a school or whether it's working at a cafe or a local shop or something like that, that's always still, yeah, something that I think is pretty not a bad way to do it. Another important factor to consider is insurance, like crop insurance, equipment insurance, house insurance. So I asked Lewis and Pippa whether they've ever considered using it. You can insure your crops. Probably don't do that till later on in the year when we figure out what we've got. We did it last year for hail on our canola. Betty, we cost 50 grand to insure it, but didn't end up hailing. Well, the but- tricky thing is with insurance is and particularly with our share farming as well, because we're wanting to have that be a stream of income, working out financially, is it more beneficial to buy some insurance or can we afford to not insure it? That was really the question that, that we had to ask. last year being so, no doubt, everyone was in the same boat, being so wet, you never knew when, when are we going to get a header on the paddock to, to strip this crop. Is it going to hail? Is it going to fire? It's it's a big thing to weigh up. Fifty grand to insure it's a lot of money. We like it's, we didn't get on to harvest some of that canola till after the new year, like middle of January. Like it's a long time from when it's ready to harvest to when you get there. I think the big question is with insurance: can you afford to not insure it? Like if you don't spend that fifty grand and you lose that crop. Can you afford to go again next year if you don't get the money from harvesting that crop? So I think that's a the way someone said to describe it to me, like, can you afford to not insure it? So Because it, it was such dent- a wet winter and it was so wet leading up to harvest and there were so many storms around, we were thinking, well, if hail does hit, that's potentially going to destroy the yeah. crop. So is it going to be worth insuring it? Or do we just run the risk and every time the sky turns grey or a different colour, are we going to be lying awake at night going, oh, my God, what's happening over yeah. there? What am I going to wake up to the next morning? It's yeah. That's yeah. definitely something that's important but also tricky to navigate. Yeah. I think insurance is pretty pretty beneficial these days, even if you don't use it for a couple of years, like it always... What is it? Comes... Lewis says you'd rather be looking at it than looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Juggling different jobs can take a toll, and finding time to wind down often falls by the wayside. So it's important for Pippa and Lewis that they find ways to relax and get away from the pressures of work. I'm very sporty, I think. Bit of a competitive sort of sporty. A lot of my downtime and how I switch off, it's probably more sport. Like I play rugby during the winter, cricket in summer, and I play a fair bit of golf as well. But... um, It's probably the main ways of me switching off from work and sort of escaping things. Uh, Also, yeah, enjoy fishing and a lot of different hobbies, but um, (laughs) 
I also really enjoy just going for a ride on my horse. Like I think sometimes that's a, probably one of the better ways of switching off. Just even if you're just riding down the road, not doing anything really, just going for a ride. I think it's very good. Yeah, that's my. We also enjoy cooking things in our camp oven. <laughs> That's a bit of a weekend little routine that we have, particularly over winter, is starting the fire and cooking a meal together. I think one of the challenges of living regionally is the isolation that you can experience. And so, like Lewis said, I think a big way to combat that is remaining connected to your local community and... Sports a really brilliant way to do that, but if you're not playing rugby or cricket or golf, I think it's really important to try and find ways to really remain connected because otherwise you could go weeks without leaving the farm and that can get pretty lonely pretty quickly. I've had a few, especially older fellas, come up like sort of thank thank me for getting like it's not just me. There's a lot of but getting rugby going again in Trangy this year. Um, blokes come up and say, oh, thanks very much, like. It's really good just to be able to come watch the footy. Like, like if we weren't watching the footy, we'd probably be at home cleaning the gutters out or, or something. And I think that it's a big, especially in these sort of smaller country communities, having something like that where people can come, have a drink, have, doesn't have to be a beer, have a glass of water or whatever they want, and just have a chat, catch up with people. Like, the footy is a really good way of doing that. And I think that's probably how Pippa sort of gets connected again with people like coming to the foot like a lot of lot of girls like coming and watching the footy their husbands and boyfriends and that play and that's a way of connecting and and meeting up and catching up and I think I've just this year I've probably noticed it more than I really have like because I've had a few people come up and, and say thanks and well done and getting the rugby going again I think yeah you probably don't realise how much it sort of means to a smaller community to have something like that I think. For the past six months, Lewis has also been involved in a 12-month-long leadership program with Grain Growers Australia. A lot of people applied for it. There's nine of us this year from all over Australia. Uh, this program which they're mentoring us, helping us become better leaders personally and like personal growth, but leaders in the grains industry as well. Like they, they've selected us as they think nine or ten people that hopefully down the track are helping grow the grains industry around the nation and they're doing a lot on personal leadership as well and personal growth, which is pretty good. I think even in the last five or six months I've been involved in it, I reckon I could see a little bit of difference in the way I go about some things now as well, which is good. It's definitely been exciting watching Lewis, even over the last four or five months, probably really discover who he is as a leader and the leadership qualities that he possesses. Whereas I think probably before this program, Lewis perhaps had a bit of a point of view of, oh, well, I'm just a worker. I'm not a leader. I'm working for someone else. And so I think it's been an amazing opportunity for Lewis to feel really empowered that he has something to offer rather than just working for someone that he's got something that really unique that he can bring to the table and he has a voice and just feeling more confident in terms of how he uses that voice. And 
I think just recognizing the potential that he has and some of those qualities that perhaps he just probably maybe didn't see in himself maybe Maybe, before this. So it's been exciting. It's been good. Yeah. Lewis is not only excited about the program's goal to help young farmers get into the industry, but also the way it focuses on growth. It's definitely a, a way of trying to get the younger generation coming through, trying to make sure we're, we're always sort of striving to be better sustainably and, and that we're keeping our grains industry growing and we're doing the right thing for it. I think it's definitely a way of getting the younger people involved. As Australia's farming population gets older, there's concern about what the future of Australian farming will look like and who the next generation will be. It's working out how can this be an industry that's sustainable for the next generation and the next generation after that and how does that look for people who are either taking over the family farm or people like us who are just trying to figure out how we can be a part of this industry and how does our piece of this pie look. Lewis and Pippa see an opportunity and it's one that other young farmers could benefit from. Going back to the younger generation coming in wanting to get a foot into the farming like there is opportunities with the older generation like say so-and-so up the road wants to they're getting older they want to slow down their fam like their sons or daughters don't want to come home and run the farm but they're not ready to sell up like there could be an opportunity for us to go in and say right oh we can that's where the, like another share farming opportunity like be a solution for their their issues. It's definitely a very real challenge, though, because even through Lewis's leadership program that he's doing with grain growers, Lewis has been speaking with farmers who are moving towards the end of their farming career, looking to, say, retirement, for instance, and they've got all of this land and they're saying to Lewis, well, my kids don't want to come home and farm this, so what are my options? Do I sell it? And if, and if I don't want to sell it because... There's emotional attachment to this land for whatever reason or if I really want to see this enterprise that I've created continue and it's not going to be a generational process, how does that look? What do I do? And so I think for people that are looking to remain in the industry, how can how can we find solutions? Because yeah. that's I think that's a very real problem that some people are facing. Yep. Or if you just want to go away to the beach for a month or if you want to have six weeks in Europe or you want to be able to split your time between being on farm and being in the city or visiting children or travel or however that looks, I think one of the challenges is when you are running a farming enterprise, it's having those boots on the ground all the time to make sure that things are constantly ticking over. And so if you're not wanting to constantly be tied to that every day, every week, every year, how can you how can you free up some of that time and space to see that this is still going to be successful but it's not necessarily going to have to be you out in the paddocks every day? Would you say that's fair? I think that's yeah, yeah. That's pretty fair. For now... Lewis is pretty happy with his current position. And down the track, he sees the potential to take on more responsibility with the share farm. I'm hoping down the, down the track, maybe not, might not be next year, the year after I can take it all on and me and my wife will be farming that country by ourselves then, hopefully. We've talked about that. When we're able to maybe step in and take 
more control, not sure, but hopefully a couple of seasons go our way and we'll get into it a bit quicker. Thanks to Lewis and Pippa Goodman for speaking with us and sharing their story in this episode. All episodes of Season 5 of Propagate are out now. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. On the next episode of Propagate. We ran into um, bushfires, followed by floods, followed by the COVID saga, followed by the volcano in Tonga, which created a tsunami surge in the river and ripped out a lot of our leases. Propagate is a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and an initiative by the Young Farmer Business Programme.